you've asked a doctor, why is this happening to me? And the answer is, we don't know. We want you to remember that doesn't have to be the end of the line. Our mission here on When Doctors Say We Don't Know is to learn how to use all types of medicines so we can stop thinking the answer is the diagnosis. You have a choice to go beyond. This is an inclusive conversation. You'll hear insights from doctors, tips from practitioners, and stories from people just like you who are frustrated with the status quo of the health industry. Listen to how they found ways to cross the dividing line and reach out for true health beyond diagnosis. Because sometimes what we've been taught is healthcare is keeping us sick. Welcome to the show. My name is Eva Venari, founder of the Elevate Institute, and I'll be your host for today's podcast, When Doctors Say We Don't Know. It's an inclusive conversation. So many are craving to share their stories and experiences, and today's guest is no exception. Today's honored guest is Dr. Heather Harrington. She is a naturopathic medical doctor and has been or was, she's now retired for 30 years, a writer, of fiction and nonfiction, a libertist, and a performer. Dr. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eva. It's great to be here. Yeah. Glad to have you because this is really, truly an inclusive conversation. And while I love the idea that you're a naturopathic or what you were, a medical doctor, um, libertist, performer, we're going to get into that because you have me really curious. These seems like two opposite ends of a spectrum. So we're going to learn more about all of this. So I want to know first and foremost, have you ever been in the situation as a naturopathic medical doctor to say, to answer somebody when they asked, what's going on with me? Have you ever had to say, we don't know? You know, that's a funny thing because I, I have a different way, I think, of practicing. So I always believe that there's something going on. And I think when doctors, medical doctors, allopathic doctors say, well, we don't know, it's because they can't see it on the lab or they can't see it in the DSM. The diagnosis is not there because it's just, you know, for whatever reason, it's not there. But from my point of view, we can look at it that it's a nutritional deficiency or it's a toxicity like lead or mercury, um, or because I've specialized in PTSD for over 30 years, I look at it that it could have been coming from trauma. So I do these different things with people. It's a very inclusive, like, I know that there's something going on. There's obviously something going on. But I think that when we get into, well, we don't know, or I could be in that place of, well, I don't know, but it's always yet, because I can do these things, I can go back in time. And if you ask people, I mean, I've been asking people this for you know over 30 years, I ended up specializing in PTSD because the um, Archdiocese of Vancouver sent me people who had been sexually abused. So it was like, um, I didn't have anybody to teach me that part, but I was building on what I learned both at Bastyr, naturopathic medical school, and also, I also, before that had worked at a camp in Nova Scotia where I had homesteaded and I was working with psychologists and psychiatrists who had been trained by, um, um, you know, by people, um, Wilhelm Reich. Um, oh, yes. Right. So they really were into the mind body. So I had a different type of practice. So if somebody were to come to me, I mean, that's what happened to me is that people would come to me and say, well, they don't, nobody knows what's going on for me, but I have something here. And so then I had to learn how to 
do the body-mind connection, whether it was going in in terms of visualization or hypnosis or just getting the whole case out homeopathically. So a lot of different parts of this, moving parts, because I always took a homeopathic case and usually a person would get a homeopathic medicine, but there's times that if they knew that there was trauma that they needed to express, then I would take them um, to that place. I would, I would start working with them and I ended up doing these retreats on a, an island off of Vancouver with these women's retreats. And because most of my patients were people who had been sexually abused, I would do these women's retreats and we would do like this thing called the womb exercise. And so that's when I realized how deep and how trauma has such an impact on our physical health. So when, you know, the doctor doesn't know, well, it's because how is a doctor trained? They're trained in mm. a certain box. And so that was my whole thing was getting out of that box and really opening up and finding out what was the underlying force that was driving this, whether it was depression or it was polycystic ovarian syndrome or it was fatigue or it was, you know, whatever it was. Um, and that's why I brought in you know, you were asking earlier, well, how does, how does what you do as a naturopathic medical doctor jive with the creative aspect? Well, the creative aspect came out of that because here we are, it was a gorgeous home, waterfront home that a friend of mine, I rented it from her. Um, she had this gorgeous home on the water and huge living room. And so we were able to do so many different writing exercises, theater exercises, you know, like psychodrama, all these kind of things and I realized how important creativity was to the healing process. Mm. And so from that, I ended up getting burned out because I mean, nobody had trained me how to sort of keep my energy uh, stable. I mean, I've been meditating since I was 15, but still people come in with horrendous stories. And oh. so I ended up at some point, and then I had a car accident and I started getting burned out. So I started writing and just, you know, automatic writing, 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 writing. And then finally it ended up, uh, my novel flawed and so then from there um then i met my husband and he's a composer and so we started writing i said oh i want to do a children's musical all these children are are anxious and um you know because i was always soothed i mean i grew up in montreal but i went and host edited in nova scotia so i knew what nature does for someone um, who's anxious or depressed and so we wrote this beautiful musical that went around to a lot of children you know Los Angeles uh, Unified School District and I saw how the children responded and then we've also done Meshuggah he's Jewish um, and now we have a new one <laughs> called The Old Show so one of these so that's so that's in, in a nutshell how yeah. I uh, it's a little bit different for how different people practice and that's it just is. reason I really believe that people need to access two things. One, learn to communicate and tap into their creativity. That's a lot. Well, you know, it's all these things that I'm going back on and I'm like, absolutely. The thing that rings in my head are the, the, the words that you said about how it all depends on how a person is trained. And that's regardless of, of what profession they're in. That's true everywhere. You, yeah. you seem to have this, um, well-rounded exposure to life. At least this is, this is my perception. Uh -huh. And, and so you kind of took outlets that you were taking to help you soothe, soothe yourself. 
and apply it to others as a form of healing. That's a beautiful bridge. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the, the uh, psychiatrists and psychologists, I mean, I, I just happened to be living in Nova Scotia and Cape Breton Island at the time. And I needed a job because I left my first husband and I, I got a job teaching at this summer camp on the water. And these people were from, you know, um, where were they from? I guess they were from Maine and Boston and they were like amazing. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> so uh, I really realized the whole body mind connection and the Wilhelm Reich thing I, I sort of studied that and I thought, oh, okay. So a lot of people don't realize, I mean, way back then, that was what, uh, you know, the 80s. Um, oh, the, the cobwebs are moving out of the way. Yes, go back to the 80s. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So, I mean, getting old here, right? Um, For me too. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that's when we all started to understand what certain conditions, like, like who knew what fraud fibromyalgia was at that time and we were all right. like on the cutting edge of okay oh my god it's a story most people with fibromyalgia i mean maybe they have a crappy diet maybe they have toxins but a, a lot of times it's that trauma of sexual abuse and you have to tap into that and that's the only way they're really going to get free of all the the pain in their their body and their muscles you know i mean it's and now I don't know if people talk about that um, too much, but back then, you know, we would talk about what cancer was or what anything was. And it was really about looking um, at the whole person. And for me, I'd always danced to um, get out my anxiety. And I think I've always been kind of like, you know, I'm a deep feeler and I needed to do that and meditate to be whole. And so I figured, well, other people must have to do that too. Well, you're bringing up a really good point. It's not just the self-soothing, it's the listening to the body and having that self-awareness. Do you feel like the stories that people came to you and said, you know, nobody else knew what was going on. Once you got into conversation with them about the trauma and what was going on, did they have that level of self-awareness or did that, was that something that had to be developed to help them heal? Well, I think, you know, there's so I saw a lot of different people. So yeah. <laughs> um, for some people, it was an immediate, immediate. They went, just look at you and they go, oh, yes, right. You know, like I, I'll never forget this woman who came, who had been having migraines, headaches since she was nine years old. And she must have been at least 50, 50, 60. And so she had suffered her whole life. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I just, I asked a simple question. I mean, these things just, I said, well, what was going on for you when you were nine years old? And she said, oh, well, my parents were missionaries and we were overseas. I forget which country it is now. And um, this teacher would take us individually into a room and abuse us. And she just looked at me and went, oh my God. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned so much from my patients. Um, I practiced in Kitsilano in Vancouver. And I mean, they were so open and they were so like, oh. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like, people, I, I remember this fellow um, a few years ago, even here. I mean, he said, oh, I have this, um, he had Crohn's, I, I think it was Crohn's, some kind of GI, I forget now, but, um, and we went over his history and he had, you know, two parents who were alcoholics. And I said, well, don't you think that has affected you? And he looked at me and went, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and it was still that you know that oh <laughs> and it's so simple to ask these things now I mean we look at it but you don't realize how deep you know like especially for that woman who had been suffering since she was nine years old and um, once you start working with them and sometimes just saying that to them things change other times yes you have to do more like you know like more I do this like a creative visualization you know Shakti Gawain was big back then I mean really using the five senses I talk about that in, in my um, trauma book that's coming up early 21 it you have to really feel taste see you know the colors all that kind of thing and create and, and that will come out and and show you basically where you are and what your story is and what you need to change to create a whole visceral new reality for yourself to change the story is that the idea absolutely and wow. i think it's because i know i believe very much that um what you are feeling what you are you know the thought and the feeling really propel the physical i mean there are times when you're just toxic or you're you know have a nutritional deficiency and all that right. stuff but but when i had graves disease uh well, i don't know was that 10 years ago or more um one thing I, I i realized um first i could heal this naturally um and i was supposed to have my thyroid out and everything and i said no um was how my emotion was driving the graves and until i identified what that emotion was i would never have healed i would you know i would still be grasping i mean graves disease you're it's a very you're very speedy um the thyroid is 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 um hyper and you know you're just really speedy really anxious you're, ah, my, my. so until <laughs> you realize where that's coming from and you go oh okay calm mm -hmm. down i'm gonna heal i'm not gonna go there and because i have uh, you know my grandmother was irish i really <laughs> believe that there's this irish melancholy that i can dip into and i really realize oh no i am not dipping there anymore you know that is you know it almost can feel like a cloak that you wear and it kind of feels fun or it feels good or oh, you know that that deep irish poet <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, i went okay nope can't do that and i would just sort of tip the canoe up you know and uh and 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 just let the light in and just start having fun and i think that's when i also realized that a lot of people don't get sick um you really have to get to that place of being happy and you know it's very difficult it's for, i mean this is an extraordinary time and it's an incredible challenge and to tell people you should you know try to get happy or find out what makes you happy but um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. The fires and the COVID and the president. <laughs> yeah, we're all overwhelmed. <laughs> overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just because the, the political. Yeah, you're right. The political climate, and then there's the the physical one with the fires and the. Well, isn't isn't that still a problem? Yes, it is. But we still have a problem with COVID. So. Yes. I mean, I'm, <laughs> And then it's an earthquake that night. So I mean, yes. Like, I have my I have I'm on a couch at the time and I hadn't gone to bed like I normally do it early enough. Something just I, I didn't want to go. And I'm sitting there, my cat's next to me on one side, who didn't wake up and warn me, by the way. And as we're we're riding out this little earthquake and, and I've got my hand on the other end, I'm like, is it of uh, the couch, is this going to get worse or are we just gonna have a little ride here? So yeah, I know. Yeah, we just woke up and went, oh, earthquake. Yes, back to sleep. I know. Eat our sleep. 
Well, so you're bringing us to another another point here. It's like, um, and how, how do you help relieve your own stress right now during the changes for our lifestyle changes, everything that COVID has brought about for us? Like, what are you, what are you doing right now? Well, I swim every day, unless it's like today, um, you know, the air is so bad when the air is not bad. Um, I swim, I dance, teaching myself to play the piano. And uh, yeah, I talk to girlfriends, uh, talk to people, talk to friends. <laughs> um, and I just really try to make sure that I'm eating, I'm not, you know, going to any real comfort foods. And sometimes if I do go to a comfort food, I, I eat really slowly just to really savor it. I used to say that to my patients because I can't really eat chocolate. I'm allergic to a lot of things, but um, I would just say to them, just have a, you know, take a bite. Don't deny yourself, but just eat it really slowly. Really slow. um, that's, a good, so, that's a good one yeah, like yeah and sometimes it's just you know I mean I think this is just such a challenging time I mean and, and and I've been you know finishing these two nonfiction books which are the first nonfiction books nonfiction work I've ever done um, and it's been very stressful so I'm just really glad that there's a pool at the bottom of our stairs that I can just go into <laughs> just dive in so well tell us tell us more about these books I want to hear Oh, okay. Well, the first one, <laughs> just my arm there, Eva. Um, <laughs> yeah, the first one is surviving a viral pandemic through the lens of a naturopathic medical doctor. And I started writing it just because when I was starting to write my second novel, I was starting to get into writing about yellow fever in New Orleans. And all of a sudden the research I was doing, I noticed that all these scientists, all these researchers were saying, it's not if, it's when there's gonna be a super influenza virus. They really believed it was gonna be influenza, of course, mm. now, you know. And so I was like, really, we're gonna have that again? You know, that was back in 1918, it's gonna be bad. And they said, it's gonna be really bad. So I went, well, I better write this for my grandchildren so that they'll know what to do. And so I just started writing and writing. And then, and then I don't know, I, I was doing other things too, but also oh, that was like in 2015, I think. Um, and then I started writing this other book that will be out early January with any luck. And that is Transforming Trauma, A Drugless and Creative Path to Healing PTSD and Other Conditions with Trauma at the Core. Not sure that's all going to go on the book, the front cover, but it's, going to be it's, like it's very inclusive there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything. Um, so uh, both of those books have been, oh my gosh, I have to tell you, the left brain is totally overused my head right now. Trying to make sure, like even, okay, so the first one is out now. It should, you should be able to order it from any bookstore. Um, as of this week, it's definitely on Amazon, ebook, and paperback. Um, people, I wasn't able to get a traditional publisher, which is what I wanted because um, they said they had editorial um, differences. And I know that what that's from is because I don't believe in the flu shot. Oh, yes. Well, right. you and I are in agreement on that one. Yeah, I know that's very controversial. And, but it's, it's so worth the conversation anyways. I mean, people have a choice and they should know that they have a choice. And they have a choice. And, and also, you know, coming from Canada, it's where it's pushed, I'm sure, in Canada too, but you don't see it at every pharmacy. Drug, drug store, I mean, yeah. Get $5 off if you get a flu shot. I mean, it's free these propaganda. days. <laughs> yeah, it's free. Yeah, right. It's, it's, and it's total propaganda because if you do the research, in which I show in the book, 
um, all these different immunologists, uh, scientists are telling you, no, 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 this is not a good, and there's so many books out these days. I just got another one called Vaccine Epidemic. I forget the first woman, but oh, Mary Holland from the Children's Health Defense. Um, and, you know, there's like, uh, what's it, um, Richard Moskowitz's book, uh, forgetting the titles, but Vaccines Reconsidered, something like that. Um, and I think that there's so many people that understand that we aren't looking, uh, we aren't looking at really what's going on there. It's really being pushed by, say, Bill Gates and different people who seem to have a monetary uh, stake. Yeah, yeah, stake. Thank you. Um, and what's true is, anyways, I was going to say in Canada, they've done research and it, and it's there. It's that vitamin D is more important than a flu shot, and that you know you get Guillain-Barré, you get neurological symptoms, you can get. Um, Oh, here's a good, good example. So I had one of my oldest patients. Her mother was not my patient, but her mother is now about 100 years old, and they took her to the doctor for something else. And she's someone who juices every day. Um, she's really healthy, right? And um, she, they didn't, the daughter didn't realize that the nurse had given her a flu shot. Mm. And so when she got home, she's just started getting so angry and horrible and like this woman is a beautiful woman you know she's a singer she's, and she, and so this is just a story that my patient my and now my friend told me but she was horrible and they just was well what happened the only thing different is that you got that flu shot and uh, i guess her mother was oh my god and so then, then the next day she was fine but that night she was just in such a state and i feel that she was lucky because of her juicing and eating so well for so long that she had a really good detox system. So you can, she got the detox out, but basically, um, you know, for people who don't have a good detox system. And I think that that's, you know, for so many people, so many, yeah, so many because they eat crap. And um, so I thought that was such an interesting thing that, and then she was able to get over it. Thank goodness. Well, they do. They warn you that if you're not healthy enough, do not take the vaccine. They, they say that. But they don't say that on uh, those little sandwich boards, right? <laughs> come on in. This is come on in, yeah. Come and get it. It's kind of like when you're at the uh, mall and you've got the, uh, the, ch the the Chinese food and they're they're pushing you the, the samples with a little toothpick and they say, here, have, have some. And I ask a question, is that gluten-free? Oh, we don't know. Just have it anyway. And I'm like, you <laughs> can't do that. Like, you, we have to be responsible with this stuff. So anyways, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so true isn't it and people don't realize it yeah they, they don't and and so you know there's there's this whole conversation where people want to bring it all the way back to well what about the polio vaccine that saved lives i mean do we cut out all vaccines altogether or are we right. just needing to get smarter about it what's your take well i think with polio one thing we do have to understand because i mean i have friends that get annoyed with me for saying um, you know, say anything bad about vaccines because they've had an aunt or an uncle who actually died from polio. Now, I wasn't back, you know, there is not, a, to me, as far as I know today, there is not a polio outbreak. So, um, but that people talk about how that uh, coincided with uh, public sanitation, personal hygiene. So we don't really know. And what we do know, though, is in I believe it's in Sudan where Bill Gates went and it was, you know, the oral polio. He's actually in Africa. They, they, they know this is a fact that polio has increased and people got polio who had never had polio because they were given the oral polio vaccine. 
Now, um, so I think that what we have to do is go vaccine by vaccine. And um, certainly, if, you, if no one believes that um, MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, gives you autism, you should really listen to um, Brian Hooker on my podcast, Dr. Heather Uncensored. Listen to his, he's a biologist, he's a biology teacher up in somewhere in Northern California, and his son, um, that happened to him, and it also one of my best friends, she has twin grandsons, they're now about 18 years old, and they too, uh, their parents knew that it happened just after they had the MMR vaccine. So as far as I'm concerned, and I've heard so many more stories, of course, and I've, I've read a lot, there's no question that what happens with these vaccines is that it can really screw up the gut. And the, um, and if someone's already has a disordered gut, that the vaccine doesn't really know how to sort of dissipate itself, you know, to detox. And it can just immediately go up into the brain. And so if this is a developing brain, like a child, you know, as a child's brain, you um, can easily get um, a real, you know, neurological disorder or, or something like autism or seizures. I mean, let me just say, because I know we don't have too much more time, is I just really want to warn or advise your listeners, don't let your children, your daughters, or, you know, or sons get Gardasil. I mean, Gardasil is, is probably the worst of the worst. And, you know, I've talked to people who have had seizures for seven years, and you just have to watch Vax2. Vax1 is about MMR, Vax2 is about Gardasil. And I really encourage you, you know, people who may be listening to this and saying, oh, well, you know what, you really are, don't need to feel threatened. It's really important that we investigate this, just like, you know, thalidomide. Um, when I was growing up, children, you know, we didn't know why that had happened. Um, you know, medicine does these things and then we look back and so many people are damaged. And, you know, I mean, I just, I've met so many parents who, you know, their children are autistic. We've got to figure out all the different reasons why children become autistic. As Stephanie Senna, Dr. Senna, who I also interviewed her on my podcast, she just talks about how, you know, um, what's the percent? I think she says 80% of children are going to be autistic by, by 2030 if we don't figure this out. Well, I've always been about children. I love children, you know, and I just, that's my thing. I just want people to understand that we need to do absolutely everything to understand what it is, why children are becoming autistic now. So then it, to me, it's not so much whether or not it's caused by the vaccine as it, 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 and I believe that it is to, you know, I believe that it is too. I think the conversation for those who argue against it, it needs, we need to have a higher um, responsibility to answering the question and an inclusive conversation that's open and saying maybe it is the vaccines, maybe the schedule is too aggressive, especially for young, young yeah, children. Absolutely. And if you have other countries that are rejecting our pre-prescribed schedule, maybe there really is something wrong with it. You know, yeah. when you have one in 10 children, that's the current stat, being diagnosed with autism. We need to look at that as a society because who's going to take care of them oh, yeah. if they're non-functioning? Yeah. yeah, because yeah. parents naturally expire. They die before children. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. and, and how are we going to have a society that functions when 10% of us rely on the others? Like we're going to be burdened. And I, that maybe sounds heartless, but we need to look at that. This is a reality. 
Oh yeah, and I think that you know you'll you'll talk to parents who have autistic children. They'll go, well, I don't think it was vaccine. I just think that when I cleaned up his diet, um, things changed. You know, people have been able to heal, and I think that's why we have to go to the gut. That there, that is such a big part of our immune system, and if that is not right, then that can affect the brain because the gut and you know the gut brain axis. So I think that. Um, we, know, we need to look at pollution, you know, the environment and, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and definitely have choice on vaccine. I mean, this whole COVID thing coming up, people just can't believe it when I say, well, no, I'm not going to have one. Well, you know I'm what? Neither. Have one? No, I've never had one ever. And, and, you know, since I left home. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you need to build up the host. What happens in 19, I mean, in 2025, when COVID-25 arrives, what are we supposed to do that? Wait another two years or for a vaccine? No, you need to boost the immune system. And we also know, I mean, Fauci even said just, what, a few weeks ago, oh, yeah, well, you know, vitamin D and vitamin C are good. Well, why didn't he say that to the population six months ago? Right. Why aren't they saying, you know, in Canada, they'll at least say, make sure you get some exercise, really eat well. I've never heard anything like that. All I hear is, oh, they brought the firefighters a whole bunch of donuts. Isn't that wonderful? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember when, when, the, when COVID first started in March, I was on podcasts, you know, one a day recording. I don't know what the, when all of them were released, but we were talking immune system back then. And I don't know what happened to that conversation as to why it didn't make it into mainstream media. We over here in the podcasting world seem to have a better um, handle on what the true news really is, which is why I so appreciate having this medium and being able, and you too. So it, tell us briefly, one more time, you mentioned it a minute ago, what is the name of your podcast? Because people are going to hear this and go, I want to hear more of this lady. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I hope so. Um, it's uh, Dr. Heather Uncensored. I started it um, because of the two nonfiction books. Um, and that was, um, this is, I think I've had 26 episodes. So that's, yeah, it's quite a few months ago now, six and a half months, you know, all these books take a long time to finish and publish. But in that I have some really uh, great people talking about so many different things that I think that people need to understand like the history of medicine um, and that why why we are in this mess. And I certainly have that in both of my books. And it is in, you know, I think with Rick Kirshner, Dr. Kirshner, um, I think that's numbers five or six. We definitely talked because he did a documentary on the history of medicine, which I, I'm actually trying to put together. I'm hoping, I'm just starting, I'm not sure where it's going yet, but looking at um, the women in the 1800s and, um, the, people, the naturopathic women and, and that kind of thing about and why all that stopped. And that was the, the reason that we've been so messed up is because of the Flexner Report of 1910 just started to idealize um, and sanction allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is, you know, the, you're the orthodox conventional. Right, the hunt and kill. Hunt, hunt down your symptom and kill it. Well, that, that's what I call it. That's my, my pedestrian way of explaining it. But I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that book coming out. And if you, you know, want any contribution at all, I would love to talk to you about that. I think that'd be great. Uh, thank you, Dr. Heather, for being a guest. Thank you so much, Eva. Yeah. Pleasure to be here.
It's a great conversation. So I love it. Uh, signing off and just wanted to say thank you to all of you listening in on When Doctors Say We Don't Know. This has been an engaging conversation and I'm hopeful those of you listening will hear a message of hope so you too can turn your experience of pain into triumph. If you're driving and can't click on the links to the show notes, remember you can always hop on to theelevateinstitute.com and follow the podcast links for today's show. There's more to talk about as always. Tune in next week for our next episode of When Doctors Say We Don't Know. Again, this is Eva Venari reminding you to question everything. <laughs>